You are listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast by The Crossing on how to live into God's bigger story. All right. Hey, welcome back to another episode of A Bigger Life. We're going to look at Psalm 65 today. Sometimes Psalms, at least for me, and all I'm doing in this podcast is trying to look at scriptures that have helped me and help me when I want to spend time drawing deeper in my relationship with God through meditating on his word in a way that Jesus did, in a way that believers have for thousands of years, in a way that the Holy Spirit intends for us to do when he inspired scripture like the Psalms to be written. This is what they're for. It's what Jesus used it for, and it's what uh, people have used it for, for for thousands of years, like I said, and this really helped me in my own spiritual life. But the thing I want you to understand is you don't have to resonate with the whole psalm. A lot of times psalms are dealing with something that's a different historical context than we're used to. So, for example, verse 11 in Psalm 65 says that your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. Well, you know, we don't really think of wagon tracks as signs of flourishing and abundance. That's not the historical context in which we live. So we we may not quite get that verse and kind of want to move on, and that's fine. I just think we're trying to find, at least for me, uh, we're trying to find verses that resonate with what our soul senses the need to pray, and that's what we're trying to do. And this psalm, for me, has three verses, just three verses out of the 13 verses in this psalm, three of them really resonate with me, and they really resonate with me. And so they, they, I have them marked in my Bible as verses I come to, want to go to, when I want to have a time of prayer. That's what I would encourage you to do at some point when this becomes something you do, that you would have a Bible. I have um, you know, lots of Bibles like anybody, so sometimes I do it on my iPhone, sometimes I do it in my physical Bible, but I mark verses, I highlight them, sometimes write in them. I have no problem writing in my Bible. And those are verses I go back to. And so in Psalm 65, I have verses three through five marked. So this is one of these Psalms that I think helps us see the bigger story that our life is in. That's why this podcast is called The Bigger Life, is because there's a bigger story that God is unfolding in our world and therefore summoning us into. And when we live that story, that's when our Christian life does is not boring. There's nothing boring about the God of this universe. There's nothing, nothing boring about what he's doing in this world through Christ. And the more we understand the incredible excitement and the joy and the awe and the awesomeness of what God is doing and what he's done and what he's summoning us into and the kind of story he is bringing us into by his Holy Spirit, that's when life becomes exciting. That's when life becomes a life of joy. And the last thing it is, is is boring. But David writes in Psalm 65, verse 3, and this is when it gets really personal, when iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. I always love it in a weird way when the Holy Spirit inspires scripture that lets me get honest about my sin. So in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our transgressions. Jesus builds that right into his prayer that he is giving us to pray on a regular basis. He's building into the fact that we're going to have transgressions 
that we need to ask forgiveness for. So he's not surprised by our transgressions. He's not surprised by our sins. He's built it into the prayer that God's people are to pray on a regular basis. Here we are in Psalm 65. Holy Spirit has inspired David with this psalm. And it says right here in the beginning in verse 3, when iniquities prevail against me. So when I have this sense that sometimes I feel far from God, sometimes I feel like my soul is dry, sometimes I'm less motivated to want to engage with God, and sometimes when I don't want to engage with God, it's because there's this low-grade, back-burner sense of guilt. I know I've been transgressing. I know that my heart is hardened. I know that I'm just not where I want to be. I'm never where I need to be. I'm always growing in that, but I, I, I'm not even where I want to be often in my spiritual life because I'm just sort of focused on the flesh. If, if you want to think of the New Testament way of saying it, I'm focusing on shallow things. I'm focusing on things that don't really draw me closer to Christ. And so that's what David is saying. My iniquities prevail against me. And I, I, you know, iniquities or transgressions he, in, in the parallel, you atone for our transgressions. And so he, when he says iniquities, he's talking about transgressions. Transgressions are, are willful breaking God's will for us. We're rejecting God's will for us. We know something God wants us to do and we don't do it. We know something God doesn't want us to do and we, we choose to do it. So transgressions aren't sort of the unconscious ways that we disobey God. They're, they're the conscious ways that we disobey God. That's, that's what iniquities are. We're, we're choosing. Now, it's a habit, and it's the way we think. It's become our nature, and we don't really think about it. It's autopilot. But we're choosing to simply live out a different narrative that is not Christ is my Lord, is not God is my satisfaction. It's a different narrative that we're pursuing satisfaction or we're pursuing our own best interest, self-interest in a way that is transgressing the will of God. We just got to be honest about it. Call it for what it is. That's exactly what David does here. So let's do it. When iniquities prevail, they're just becoming sort of a big part of my narrative. But they prevail against me. And this is what I think we have to understand, that our sins are not just against God, but against us. There's something we're doing against us. We're hurting ourselves. We, we, so many places in the Bible talk about sin being its own punishment. And that's what we're doing when we transgress the will of God for us. We're sinning against God, but our, our iniquities are against us. But he says, you atone. You atone, you know, that word atone, uh, because it's in the, the way it is in English, at one. You take away the guilt of our transgressions. But the, the, the taking away of the guilt is bringing a reconciliation. We're coming at one again with God. But we can't atone for our sin. Only God sa- says he can. So you atone for our transgressions. We should never try to atone for our transgressions. We don't do things to make up for them. We don't do things to atone for them in some way. So when I feel far away from God, a lot of times I think I have to start doing good things before I can start feeling closer to God. But that's not what David says here. He says that, that when my iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. You, you're the one that takes away the guilt of my sin. And so I just need to have this sense of trusting you to atone for my sin. 
So verse 4, blessed, this is that word Jesus uses a lot, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you for my name's sake. Rejoice, for great will your reward be in heaven. This blessed sense is this always this futureness to it. There's this sense in which right now life is a mixture of blessedness and thorns and thistles and dust and death. But there is this blessedness that God created us for. There is this bigger story that we have that's on the horizon when we will be restored without sin, in a resurrection body, in a place of flourishing. And that's what the Bible's talking about when it's talking about blessed. This is ultimately what it means to be blessed. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. Now that verse is really significant. Blessed is the one you choose. Now I don't understand how that works, and so I don't want to get into the details of it, but in some way, whenever my faith is wanting to draw near to God, whenever I'm wanting God to forgive me of my sin, whenever it matters to me that I draw near to God and I want to listen to his word and meditate on his word and in some way have the Holy Spirit more real in my life, that's because God is doing something in me by his Holy Spirit. He's He's choosing me and bringing me near to dwell in his presence, the presence of his glory and his beauty and his goodness and his love. That's what the idea of courts is, the courts of the temple or the courts of the tabernacle. It's God's presence. It continues to say, we shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. A lot of language here we don't understand. We don't have temples. We don't have the house of God as a temple or a tabernacle as the presence of God. But all of these things that were fulfilled, these are Old Testament types that were fulfilled by Christ. Christ is the presence of God. Christ is the the presence of God on earth, and the church is the presence of God on earth. We are the body of Christ. And so all these symbolisms ultimately are pointing to the ultimate promise of what it will be when God is our God and we are his people in his presence, physically in his presence, in the presence of his goodness, the presence of his glory and beauty and splendor. It says here, the holiness of your temple is what satisfies us. Now, we think of holiness as boring. We think of holiness as drab, strict. That's not what the Bible means when it says holiness. When the Bible says holiness, it's Kind of a hard word to understand, but it has the idea of the transcendence of God, the otherness of God, the splendor of God, the glory of God, the radiance, the awe of God. And whenever somebody encounters the holiness of God, first of all, they're aware of their unholiness, but then secondly, they're just overwhelmed with a sense of awe. And in the blessed state, the future of our story, we will be satisfied with the holiness of God. We'll be satisfied with the goodness of the presence of God. Verse 5, by awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation. That, that God has become our righteousness by his awesome deeds through Christ on the cross, breaking through the other side of death for us, but also the life he lived that was sinless becomes how God sees us. It becomes our substitutionary righteousness. He, his righteousness becomes our righteousness that will bring, in a resurrection like his, a state of true righteousness and joy, restoration, 
satisfaction, atonement in the sense of at one minute, will be one with him without separation, blessedness. O God of our salvation, God is our salvation. God is our flourishing. God is our joy. God is our satisfaction. God is our righteousness that we long for that we know we don't have. God is our restoration. God is the goodness of being in his presence, in the presence of his holiness, and the presence of his righteousness, and the presence of his glory, and his goodness, and having great joy, not having a sense of guilt, and being far away, and being overwhelmed with our own transgressions, but because he has atoned for our transgressions, being in his presence with a sense of joy, blessedness. The last part of verse 5 says... O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth. Now, here we come to the story, right? Because always it's the end of the earth that is the scope of God's salvation. The God of our salvation is the salvation of the earth. It's not just our souls. It's not about us being forgiven of our sins and going to heaven when we die. That's not the gospel. That's not the biblical story. That's not the bigger life that we're called into. That's not it. It's being on a restored earth in a restored body with atonement at one minute, being brought into the presence of God where God is our God and we are his people. He has removed our sins and given us his righteousness. And we come into his presence without separation, without sin, without anything separating us and being satisfied with the presence of his glory, the goodness of his house, the holiness of his temple in the sense of being in his radiant presence with an overwhelming sense of awe and joy and goodness and splendor. By awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness because of Jesus, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth. This is the story your life is in. Don't get tripped up by another story where somehow the Christian life becomes boring, somehow it becomes more exciting, whatever you're watching in a movie or a TV show or somehow something else that's taking you away from God by transgression becomes a promise of greater satisfaction for you. It's a dead end. It's a dead end. It's not even going to bring satisfaction, but it's also going to be a dead end in the end. This is the only story that brings flourishing and joy and gladness, satisfaction, blessedness, flourishing. All right, now it's really important to... to I think, pray these kinds of prayers, especially prayers that help us to do the kind of thing Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, that we come before God and say, forgive me of my sins. And I just, on a daily basis, want to be sure to do that with God, that I don't harbor sin unconfessed in my life, but I have this sense of bringing my sin to God. Here's here's what I really want you to get. This is so important. God's not surprised by your sin. Something hasn't happened that's gone terribly wrong And now you've sinned one too many times and you're off the shelf. You're off the boat. You're off the the plan, out of the story. That's not it. That's not how it works. But, but if, if that's how it works in our hearts, if, if, if that drives us away from him and makes us live for a different story, then that's not going to be a good story for you. So you want to come back. You want to repent. When we read that word in the Bible, repent, we think of some 
fire and brimstone preacher who's hypocritical but yelling at his congregation and trying to get them to feel bad for their sins. That's not what the Bible's talking about when it talks about repent. That word repent means to come back, to turn around. It's a very grace-oriented word. It's an open-armed invitation from Christ, from God saying, just come back. Come back. You don't have to drift away. You don't have to drift away in your heart. You don't have to drift away with me. Just come back. Have atonement at one minute. Let's be one again. Through Christ, through my righteousness, through my death on the cross, through my resurrection, I've done awesome deeds. I am your salvation. So come back. Just come back. Come back. Will you come back? That's what repent means in the Bible. And I want to do that. I want to have that sense of God's grace and his invitation for me to repent. And that's why he puts it in the scripture. That's why it's right here for us to pray. It's built in to this side of the story. So let's pray it. Oh God, the I am, the Holy One, the one without sin, the one whose way is always perfect. Everything about you is righteous and full of holiness and splendor and majesty and radiance and glory. And I am not. I am someone who has been hijacked by a different story. And there is sin in my heart and there is sin in my mind. In many ways, I've been hijacked to just this futility of dust and death and and thorns and thistles that that I just continue to go back to over and over and over again. But you're not surprised by any of it. It's true that my iniquities, my rejecting of your will for my life, walking away from your steadfast love for me, thinking I'm pursuing self-interest, but I'm just pursuing self-destruction. My iniquities prevail against me. Too often they prevail and I don't fight, but I, I give in. They prevail. But you atone. You satisfy your righteousness through Christ's death on the cross. You atone completely. Your sacrifice for me is complete. Nothing needs to be added to it. You atone. I can't atone. I can't do anything. But you have. Your deeds of salvation are awesome because you have atoned for my sin. By awesomeness, by awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness. You've done that already with Christ. You've given me his righteousness. And so I ask forgiveness for my transgressions, my iniquities. I want to walk away from them and I want to walk back to you. I want to come to you. Your open arms. You as my God. You as my King. You as my Good Shepherd. You as my satisfaction. I don't want to be satisfied or at least follow the lie of being satisfied by other things because I know my only satisfaction, true satisfaction, true blessedness, true joy, true goodness is in at one minute with you, walking with you, following you, trusting in you, seeking you, in my own mind being near you in your house, in your temple courts, being satisfied with the goodness of your house, being satisfied in the presence of your holiness and splendor and awe, that I would have the great joy of being walking with the God who created this universe, the God by awesome deeds who's given me your righteousness, 
You are the God of my salvation. You are my salvation. You are my joy. You are my gladness. You are my satisfaction. You are my righteousness. You are my restoration. You are my at-one-ment, atonement. Only you are my atonement. You give me your righteousness and you take away my sin. Completely take away my sin with Christ on the cross. You are my resurrection. You are my joy. You are the salvation, not just of my story, but my life in this entire earth forever. I want to be on that restored earth with you in a resurrected body like Christ. I want to be with you forever inside your glory and your beauty and your goodness and your love and your righteousness, being satisfied in your presence forever. Only in your presence will I be satisfied. Only in your presence will my soul be filled. Will my life be filled with true joy? I want to be in that story. I want to be there I want to be with you forever to see your glory and to be where you are and you be my God and me be part of your people forever. I trust you. I submit to you. I want to follow you. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for being fooled. I come back to you. I return. I repent, I bow, and I trust. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.